Welcome back to Navigating the Work Compass. I'm Kate Luzio, founder and CEO of Luminary, along with my co-host, Susan Chapman-Hughes. We are, we are so excited to be back here with all of you and delighted to bring on our guest this week, Mark Monchek, who is the founder and chief opportunity officer of Opportunity Lab. And we're going to hear a little bit more about Opportunity Lab. But one of the reasons why I found so fascinating what Mark is doing is because he has, and this is way before the pandemic, um, a passion for empowering conscious leaders to build great companies that make a difference in the world. We've seen a lot of change happen just in these past two years. You're now seeing because people think the pandemic is over, and I use quotation marks for those of you that are just listening on our podcast, the pandemic is not over. We're still figuring out what return to the office or return to work or return to normal looks like. But we also are talking to uh, lots of employees around the world. We're listening to leaders and the decisions they're making. But Mark has a very unique, unique vantage point. So we're going to hear a little bit more about Opportunity Lab and then talk about what he and all of who he's talking to are facing in this new world of work and the future of work. So welcome, Mark. Uh, thank you, Kate. Thank you, Susan. It's an honor to be here. And I am absolutely honored and excited to be a member of Luminary oh. uh, right. because I feel safe, happy, and connected in a human way that most workplaces don't have. And I think a lot of them are struggling to have these days. And it's a very important time where we need to be more human and, uh, you know, more real. Uh, thank you. And we love having you. So, um, Mark, tell us a little bit more about your journey um, and, and Opportunity Lab and sort of how you're working with these leaders. And, and obviously, we're going to get into it's a new world and, and what a leader looks like is a bit different. But can you tell us a little bit more about Opportunity Lab? Well, I'll give you the the short story of the origin story because we we believe that the origin story, how people got their start in life, how people you know opened their career, how companies started, is important to understand like where are they right now. So my origin story, I grew up at the intersection of business psychology and art. Um, so everybody in my family, with the exception of my parents, were entrepreneurs. Um, you know, building businesses, uh, one that was stolen during the Holocaust in, in Eastern Europe, came to the United States, reinvented it. Uh, my uncles on my father's side started a toy company that's still around all these years later. And my father was a psychiatrist. My mother was an artist. So I grew up with the sensitivity of why do some entrepreneurs reach a certain level and scale? Others do not. Why are some happy? Others not. How do family businesses work and when do they not work? Uh, so my father helped me understand the psychology of how people actually work together or not. And my mother understood the the art, the aesthetic, which is so beautifully done at Luminary. That, you know, there's an aesthetic about the workplace that we have certainly ignored until the pandemic actually mm -hmm. made us so much more sensitive to where we work, how we work and who we work with. So intersection of business psychology and art, there's a lot more of that story, but it gives you a little bit of background on on me and the Opportunity Lab was actually sort of started way back in uh, 1981 when my wife and I bought our first home in Brooklyn, in Midwood, near Brooklyn College. And six days after we had moved in, hadn't really fully unpacked, somebody put gasoline underneath the back door, lit it up with a match, and almost burned the house down to the ground. Oh my goodness. Now, how is that the 
how is that the start of an opportunity lab? <laughs> well, we move back into this house with no heat, no hot water, no kitchen, no alarm system, and no money. And so we found in this Brooklyn community, very integrated, diverse community, people showed up and started to help us. And, you know, I, I began to ask the question that I always ask in any situation, what is the opportunity in this seemingly terrible tragedy? So opportunity was material things really don't matter. You know, at the end of the day, it's really who you love, how you love and what you do with the resources you're given. And that resources will show up if you're awake and aware and if you're generous and reciprocating to those resources. So I began to think about opportunity from that particular circumstance. And of course, my family who kind of came through uh, very little opportunity, but they made something really magnificent out of it. So that's sort of the origin of our, our company way back in 1981. Wow. Go ahead, Susan. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, it's so funny as I hear you talk about uh, this concept of material things don't matter and really connecting to community. I think what we've seen in the last couple of years where people have realized that there's so much more to why they work than just earning money so that they can get things, right? And so the strength of the communities that they are participating in and engaging in have really been the things that have sustained them as they have come through this. And, and what's so fascinating is so many leaders and companies haven't realized that this is where many of their people are going and how they've evolved, which is why they're making different choices and why they're thinking differently around who they work with and how they work. Would love to know, like, so what do you guys do, right? Like, that's the, the origin story. How do you, you know, move the message forward? Like, what do you do every day to, to make changes in the world? Uh, yes, thank you, Susan. Um, we provide the strategy, uh, the leadership development and the culture to help these companies build great companies that do make a difference in the world. So um, our culture of opportunities process, which was kind of born out of the book that I wrote in 2017, Culture of Opportunity, How to Grow Your Business in an Age of Disruption, is really looking at strategy as a way to actually build a strategic culture that is diverse, that is inclusive, that is collaborative, not a plan that sits on a shelf, right? We're going to do a five-year plan. We're going to go from A to Z in five years. But today, for companies to truly be strategic, meaning that they're constantly evolving and sustaining into the future, they have to include all their stakeholders, all of their associates, their customers, the, the communities they do business in, the planet, and, and everybody that they affect in, you know, in, in the world that they operate in. So the uh, culture of opportunity is really that inclusive process, which starts out with how are you going to measure success, right? Mm -hmm. Not just profit, but certainly profit as well as revenue, but as well as social impact, collaboration, customer experience, employee experience, community engagement. Um, who is the team of people that you want to help you see the future? And then again, that team should be diverse, inclusive, and have people from different parts of the organization. And most importantly, people outside your organization that are going to challenge your status quo. Then we do something very weird, very, very strange. We actually study what works in companies because most companies study what fails, right? You look mm. at the newspaper, the New York Times, almost every single story is a story of failure. Well, if everything was failing, we, we wouldn't be here talking to each other today, <laughs> right. right? 
So we actually study what are the five most successful endeavors you have done in the last few years and what are the conditions inside your organization and outside your organization. So you'll find that there's actually a karmic pattern of success in companies. And then we say, what is the biggest failure you had? And when we ask that question, Susan, the big aha moment comes, oh, when we fail, we don't include people. We don't communicate well. We get greedy. We get narrow, right? And so owning your success profile or what we call your success DNA is key to understand how do you like leverage what's really unique about you know your, your particular culture. Then we look at the map of resources. We actually map the ecosystem. We call it unlock your resources. And we look at the people, the organizations, the sources of capital, the markets, the knowledge and communication, and we show it as an ecosystem map. And then people are, wow, we have more resources than we realize. We have not tapping into them. Then we do, what is the year of opportunity? What is the best year you could have from your highest and best place? What opportunities would you be creating? So suddenly this diverse group of people has 25 different opportunities they want to create. Well, you can't do 25. So we actually filter them by four questions. Is this opportunity going to hit your success metrics, how you measure success in the time you need it to? Is it consistent with your success DNA? Do you have the resources to do it? And is your team on board? Right. And that last question is critical for collaboration and inclusiveness because no one person, not the CEO, not the owner, gets to vote and then everybody else gets to be on the side. That's one of the really big problems with strategic planning. Mm -hmm. Some white guy or a bunch of white guys in a room are planning something that nobody else really believes in. Well, in our culture of opportunity, that can't happen. because yeah. we, There's got to be some at least a consensus. So those 25 opportunities filter down to, let's say, four and you start to launch them. Maybe there's seven that you want to do next year, reconsider. And the other ones, maybe they sounded good on paper, but they're not really right for your organization. Then you start um, launching these opportunities. You're getting feedback from the environment, and then you're evaluating them as you go along. And so you're creating a, a culture of opportunity where people have the idea to bring an opportunity to that team. Maybe somebody who is not at the, at the center of the organization. Maybe they're in the yeah. periphery. But they see what customers are saying. They see what employees are saying. So it creates this culture of opportunity. So it's really culture and opportunity have to actually be part of the same thing, not separate. So, uh, so Mark, you know, we were talking earlier and, and obviously I've gotten to know you a bit. I mean, the world turned on its head two years ago, right? Everyone went online and, and many are still online and working remotely and hybrid that brought about new changes and challenges in particular, yes, for employees, but also for leaders and managers and in particular CEOs and CHROs, et cetera. Now, as the world is trying to figure out what's next and how do we manage employees and how do we bring people back in, the old way of this idea of controlling and commanding, as you mentioned earlier in our conversation, employees is completely evolved. And can you talk a little bit about, because this is something that Susan and I talk about every week, whether it's us or our guests, just around how leaders have had to adapt and change and what that's going to look like for the future of the workforce. Wow. Okay. Great question. It's a question I think about every day, talk about every day. So, uh, you know, our clients and our colleagues, and I would imagine some of yours are, I keep asking this question, when are people coming back? How should we get them back? How many days do they come back? 
You know, what is it that will get them to be better? What's the right balance? And those are all those are all important questions. But the question I suggest our clients ask, and we ask ourselves, and that's why we're at Luminary. I'll get to that in a minute. Is why should people come back? What is it you're going to have in your workplace that competes with your associate's refrigerator, your associate's <laughs> children, your associate's backyard, <laughs> your associate's convenience in their life, right? Because they created something probably more special in their own home that they had before because they started to redecorate and start to find out the, the, the local nature preserve they'd never been to before. All these things that they had never done before. So we're saying make the workplace a place that your employees cannot get that same experience working at home. So what does mm. that mean? It means physically designing the space to actually be a place where people want to come together, not at cubicles that are crushed in next to each other, but maybe they have some plants. Maybe there's some amazing food that people bring in that are re representative of their childhood. Maybe there's some pictures on the wall. So one of our clients is not too far from you, Adorama. They do incredible photo books and prints, wall prints, and they sell you know equipment to make your dreams come true. So at some of the Adorama locations, they have their employees' photographs right up in the building, which illuminate that passion that that employee had. Mm. So you come in and I, I could see Kate's photo. I, Kate, I didn't know you love Martha's Vineyard or Susan. I didn't know that you were an expert photographer. Wow, those those pictures are amazing. I can't get I that in my own home. <laughs> I, I, I can't get that in my own home. But I, I now I got to know something about Susan and Kate yeah. that uh, I would never have found out on Zoom, right? So give That's people great. a place that is human. And then the other thing, which I was mentioning, we love Luminary because when we come there, we are greeted by a human being who says, hey, Mark, how are you today? Lights up my day. And somebody who was not only there today, but was there last year, yeah. you know, yeah. when we when we joined. And so we, we get to be in your space because your space is designed for the feminine energy. It's designed for collaboration. It's designed for private work, collective work, all those incredible things. So we're taking one of our clients over there next week to see your space to say, hey, maybe this is an example of something you could do in your space. And maybe if you can't do it everything the way Luminary does it, let's bring our leaders over to Luminary for a large meeting of 30, 40 people for one of your conference rooms. Or let's take them up on the uh, glass ceiling for an experience that they can't have in, in their company. So I, I also believe in models like yours allow companies to do something in a partnership space that they could not afford to do or, or wouldn't be practical to do in their own physical space. Yeah. yeah. You know, Mark, as you're talking, um, the, the thing that just popped out for me that really resonates is the make the space human comment that you made, right? Because, I mean, like, I still hear conversations. I was at a dinner a couple of weeks ago and um, a very large investment bank like wooing their people back with get this bagels and free fruit and coffee um and you know free food and then apparently that food is coming to an end soon and i was like well you know if you think that people are coming back because of the food you're crazy like they want to come back because there's some level of connection and so i love this idea of humanity being the center of of workplace and so i'd love to just you know hear you talk about what what have some what are some of the big lessons learned from your customers your clients about how to be more human in their workplace how to create that 
environment of connection because it isn't just about the space it's also yeah. about the activities and the things that they do but you know very tangible tips that you can give people because we've got folks all over the country and all the world actually watching this show and tuning in and listening uh, what are some of the human things that you've seen come to the forefront so susan we developed two programs very very soon after the pandemic in april of 2020 one was a program which we still have going called share lab where we go into companies and we ask three questions at the very beginning what is inspiring you what is troubling you and where are you calling from mm -hmm. so uh, the where are you calling from sounds basic but you know what people sat next to each other for 10 years they didn't know where that person lived right but now that person is on zoom and i want to know like where do they live where are they all coming from how what's the geolocation of the different people so we went into our clients' companies department by department, and we started asking these three questions. And then every month, we would ask a different question. What are you learning? What do you most want to learn? What do you need from your company to feel cared about, connected, and functioning effectively? And then we would feed this information back to our clients, not anybody's name, not anybody's quote. But you know, we're hearing that people who got hired during the pandemic didn't really feel that personal connection to the company. What can we do about that? So they started a newsletter, they started town hall meetings, they did other kinds of things that help people feel you know, more, more connected. Uh, yeah. We then started an opportunity community, which is really for our colleagues, our clients and people around the world where we met, and we're still doing this, we meet once every month, Thursday at four o'clock, and we have different questions that we ask each month. The question that we're having tomorrow, actually, which we have our share lab tomorrow, how do you know what's really going on in your business or in your business life? Yeah. And so by asking these provocative questions and really doing some breakouts, some large group discussions, sharing resources, we kind of connect, you know, on that human level. And we try to train people to do what you do with Luminary. When somebody comes in, say their name remember their name and, and and tell them the relevant things. Whenever I come to Luminary, they tell me, hey, guess what? You know, Anna, who's my colleague, she's downstairs. Yeah. I mean, just a simple thing that now I know I can go find her downstairs instead of having to run around and look for her. That just that caring that you guys share to your members just makes me feel like I'm going to a place that cares about me. And that just really means so much to our team to, to be in a place like that. Thanks, Mark. The, the question I would have on top, so you're going in, you're asking these questions, you've got these meetups. Number, and I assume, I think this, this last two years have given employees a voice, right? To actually voice what they want to Susan's point. They don't necessarily just want the bagels, right? Why am I coming back in? Are leaders that you're working with or even not that you're working with, what, as you're watching the environment and the landscape, are they listening? to what the employees want, because what we hear and what we see is, and what you read every day is kind of to, to our earlier conversation around, some leaders have not learned from this and they are still trying to manage by activity, right? What they can see versus that outcome. Yeah, so I think some are learning a lot and are learning fast. Some are learning slow or medium, and some are not learning at all. And I think that will tell the tale, you know, in the next uh, couple of years, which companies will rise, which companies will not, right? 
in 2008, right, which is the, yeah. the time period, which was the, the crisis that I most remember, most profound, different than pandemic, but still something that really shook us to the core, right? You have companies like that uh, Airbnb, like Etsy, uh, you know, even, even like uh, Google that were young companies back then, Uber, uh, Lyft, they rose during the pandemic, right? Companies like Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers, Blockbuster, uh, Research in Motion, right? These were the top companies in the world, right? Yahoo, remember Yahoo was huge, right? <laughs> right. That separated out companies that were willing to evolve and pivot and, and, and really learn from crisis from those that didn't. And we're going to have a similar shakeout. I think it may be even more severe because uh, I think it's just these conditions are more radical even than than we had in 2008. So I think we're, we're seeing some companies like our, yes. I mentioned our client Adorama. They have learned a lot. I, I see they are listening and I think they're actually doing they did an employee engagement survey last year. They're doing one every single year. They did a 360 survey They're doing one every single year. So doing surveys, both formal and informal, being curious, being caring, I think is a critical success factor going forward. Yeah. You know, I, as you talk about this and you talked about diversity earlier, um, we, we've, you know, been digging into these conversations around the fact that it, the experience is not the same for everyone back in the office. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I wonder if you could share some of the things that your clients have learned in terms of, you know, how do you, how do you figure out that this group of people over here is maybe not as happy as the group over there? I mean, certainly the surveys help. But, you know, if you're a leader every day and you're trying to tap into your team, like what advice would you give them to, to break down those barriers? It's mm. uh, a great question, Susan. I'm going to give you a specific example that happened in, in one of our uh, conscious leadership programs. So there was a, a manager in one of the key departments that had a reputation of being terrific analyst, great follow through, great organization. And he was labeled as somebody that was difficult to work with and somewhat abrasive. There happened to be that he was the only African-American in that department and in the larger department that that smaller department was a part of. So I asked the, the, the two leaders that I was working with in this program, I said, how do you think it, it is for a African-American male to be the only African-American in a department where you've got, let's say, 45 other people? Have you asked him that? Have you observed that there may be ways that he's being treated that might be different from the other folks? Is it possible that his response might be something different than you're assuming? Mm. So these are the kind of questions we ask. So it turns out one of the leaders said, you know, I, I never really thought of that, but that's possible. It's possible, you know, maybe he's, maybe people are just treating him in a way that makes him respond that is out of character from the other ways he works. So, you know, the, these, pro, these conscious leadership programs where we really ask people to, to deeply listen and to see what's being said and, and to kind of understand where the unconscious bias might be coming from, that, that created a whole different scenario for this, for this yeah. gentleman. And, and, and I think he is in a much better place because these two gentlemen, they actually did listen. Because I think if you say it with empathy and you don't, you, you don't other the other, 
yeah. you, you, you got to understand that you know we're all coming from a place of limited consciousness, and we're trying to hopefully get get beyond that. Um, yeah, so I think that those conversations are happening that they did not happen before. You know, that's privilege, unconscious you, bias. I mean, yeah, keep going. George, George Floyd's tragic death created conversations that we never had before, and it's it's horrible that it had to happen after so many other tragic deaths. But at least I feel there's a tipping point that I'm seeing in companies that at least feels like we're, you know we're at a point where we actually are having these difficult conversations. Yeah, and and on that point, you know, there's a lot of pushback, right? Um, everybody's not. You look at the news every day. There's an an attack on you know what people are now calling critical race theory, but it isn't, right? There really are just conversations around equity, and so I wonder. Um, you know, what advice do you have for companies? Again, like, you know, it's probably not really a New York thing. It, well, it might be in some cases, but, you know, you get outside of New York and even just outside of the city, you, you do have, you know, I had a, a friend of mine who, um, what, she's a black woman, she's an executive and her company was going through a merger and they um, asked her, so her company was being acquired and they asked her, if she wanted to stay with the new company or if she wanted to um, go to, uh, you know, take severance or do whatever. And so she told me that she went in to sit down to have the conversation with the new the guy who was going to be the new CEO. And he had a let's go Brandon cup on his desk. And she said, that was a quick and easy dis decision for me. Like, there's no way I'm staying here. I'll be happy to take severance. Right. And so, everybody's not excited about all of these changes. Um, but I do believe that if you want to be on the, even just being able to connect with your customers of the future who are diverse, you've got to make these changes. And so mm -hmm. what do you think is going to be the tipping point for some of these other companies to want to call an opportunity lab and say, hey, look, okay, we, we tried this road. We realize it's not working, but we actually need your help, Mark. You know, I think Susan um, and, and Kate, the, the tipping point, which I think is, is happening, is we need to champion, advertise, share success stories that are happening in companies that are actually doing these things. Right? Yeah. And, you know, we, I, I think we, we need to give these companies more of a voice and, and help the world understand there actually is some success, even though it's obviously not we're not at the total tipping point at all. We're not even close to it, but we're starting to see companies like the company, I, the company that I mentioned earlier, Adorama, in the last three or four years, we have uh, women running businesses, Asian women running businesses, African-American men running, you know, like running departments. We're, we're seeing that companies uh, like this are open to who is the best person for that particular situation and then once they once you start to see that representation improve then you get oh we got that success so like we want to we want more of that right so i think part of it is shining the light of what's not working but again success dna let's shine the light on what is working um you know just like i don't mean to be um you know the poster boy for luminary but i just <laughs> i do i do love when i go in there i see diversity i see people on different levels talking to people uh, from different cultures and that inspires me so i want to bring people there like hey guess what there's this this really 
friendly, humane culture that's diverse and inclusive. And I'm one of the few males there. And I want to bring some other males there, too, to see like what what these great workplaces can look like. Susan, I know we're going to wrap up soon. I just I, you know what I think about that Mark is saying and something that we don't do enough is share the success stories and what companies have learned and why now some of the things that they're doing is successful because we tend to focus on the failures and the negatives and so much. I mean, you just take parental leave, right? For years and years, it was only for the woman, right? And now what we're trying to do is shine a light on the men that are taking parental leave. And that's a harder thing to do because not everyone's doing it. But the more you share the success and the goods, the more it can become a norm. Um, And so, Mark, I love that. Susan, over to you. Uh, Well, we want to give Mark the last word, right? So, Mark, it's been a fantastic conversation. And so we'd love for you to just share any tips or advice for companies that are thinking about going on this journey. You know, what are the the reasons why they should pick up the phone and call you? Because I actually love the work that you're doing. I think many more companies need companies like yours to help them go through this journey because they they want to make the changes in some cases they just don't know how and they don't have the context for it but like what are your last tips for us uh and for our audience susan i would say um to everybody who's who's a leader or anybody at work don't be so fragile with our egos like you know Mm. like be courageous because people who are honest for the most part are caring and decent. And if you allow yourself to get feedback, uh, I think you're going to actually be a better person. And um, you know, like it, it, it's helpful to know what other people think of you as the good, the bad, and sometimes the ugly. So I've, I've learned a lot from asking for that feedback, getting that feedback. And so like we, we're at a time where we got to kind of let the egos go a little bit and, and, and be less fragile and be more yeah. open to the truth of what it is. So um, we have a lot of uh, free resources that are really, I think, relevant on our website. We've got podcasts. We've got downloads. We've got all kinds of things that people can learn from. And, uh, you know, want to have a conversation, talk to us. And uh, as I said, Opportunity Community once a month on Thursday from four to five. It's free. And we want to welcome those conversations uh, like you guys are having today with me. And I'm so honored and, and so appreciative of you giving me this opportunity to have this conversation with you. Oh, for sure. This has been fantastic. And for those of y'all who are listening and not watching, you can get to uh, Mark's uh, website at oplab.com, O-P-P-L-A-B.com. Uh, and so thank you so much for joining Navigating the Work Compass. Mark, it's been great having you here with us. We are looking forward to having further conversations with you. I feel like that we're just getting started here. So we hope to have you back as a guest again. And for those of you all who are listening, you can catch us on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. We're here on Navigating the Work Compass. We talk about issues of the day. We have wonderful guests like Mark today, and we talk about the things that are on your mind. So we're looking forward to seeing you at our next broadcast. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Thanks, Mark. Thank Thank you all.